Amazon Books, your weekly program about great reads through book talks, trailers, and first chapters. Presented by Mrs. Winningham and Mrs. Kovach. Hello, this is Mrs. Green. I'll be reading from the book titled Alabama Moon by Watt Key. This is a preview to the book. For as long as 10-year-old Moon can remember, he has lived out in the forest in a shelter with his father. They keep to themselves their only contact with other human beings on occasional trip to the nearest general store. When Moon's father dies, Moon follows his father's last instructions to travel to Alaska to find others like themselves. But Moon is soon caught and entangled in a world he doesn't know or understand. He's become property of the government he has been avoiding all his life. As the spirited and resourceful Moon encounters constables, jails, institutions, lawyers, true friends, and true enemies, he adapts his wilderness skills and learns to survive in the outside world, and even, perhaps, make his home there. Now on to chapter one. Just before Pap died, he told me that I'd be fine as long as I never depended on anybody but myself. He said I might feel lonely for a while, but that would go away. I was 10 years old and he had taught me everything I needed to know about living out in the forest. I could trap my own food and make my own clothes. I could find my way by the stars and make fire in the rain. Pep said he even figured I could whip somebody three times my size. He wasn't worried about me. It took me most of a morning to get him into the wheelbarrow and haul him to the cedar grove on the bluff. I buried him next to Mama, where you could see the Noxabee River flowing coffee-colored down below. It was mid-January, and the wind pulled at my hair and gray clouds slid through the trees and left the forest dripping. I felt the loneliness he told me about crawling up from my stomach and into my throat. I didn't put a cross on the grave. I never knew Pap to believe in things like that. The only way you could make out Mama's grave was the ground that was sunk in over her in 1972, scratched on a limestone rock nearby. I don't remember her face, but I remember somebody else in the bed at night, keeping me warm from the other side. Pap said she reminded him of a yellow finch, which is how she stays in my mind. I found a rock for Pap and scratched 1980 on it with a nail. After placing it beside the dirt mound, I put the shovel in the wheelbarrow and started back for the shelter. The Cedar Grove Trail was the only one we used enough to wear our tracks into it. It was worn like a cow path from years of walking it with Pap. Not only did he like to come see Mama up on the bluff, but we used it as a main trail to check the northeast trap lines. It had been almost a week since I'd run any of them because I didn't want to leave Pap's side. I was sure the traps were tangled in the creeks, and it only made the sickness in my stomach worse to think that whatever was in them was most likely dead. Pap had tried to explain death to me, but I couldn't make sense of it. Pap said you passed on and came back as something else. It could be a squirrel or a coon. It could be a fish or an Eskimo. There was no way to tell. The most confusing part of what he told me was that even though he would come back as something else, there would still be a part of the old him that floated around like smoke. This part of him would watch out for me. I couldn't talk to this thing or touch it, but I could write to it, 
I could make my letters and then burn them, and the smoke would carry my message to him. When I got back to the shelter, I put the wheelbarrow and the shovel away and went inside. I took off my deerskin jacket and hat, lay down on the pile of hides that we hadn't been able to sell, and stared at the roots in the ceiling. There was always a lot of work to do and no time to rest. But now Pap was dead and things were not the same. I thought about death again. Most things he told me made sense real quick. You boil steel traps to get the scent off. You overlap palmetto roofing so the rain slides down. You soak a deer skin for two days and it comes out with two days of softness to it. I could understand these things. But what he said about dying and the smoky messages and his hate for government, they were the hardest ideas for me to understand. He had said the government was after us ever since I could remember. The shelter we lived in was set miles into a forest owned by a paper company and was a place no person besides us had any cause to be. Even had someone come by, he would have to just about run into our shelter before he noticed anything unusual. It was one small room built halfway into the ground with low ceilings so that Pap had to stoop to walk inside. The roof was covered with dirt and bushes and trees grew from the top. Over time, tree roots had come down into the shelter and twisted through the logs and made their way into the ground at the edges. Everything that showed above ground was from nature. Even the stovepipe sticking up to the ceiling was encased in limestone. We practiced with our rifles three times a week. Our windows were narrow slits for shooting through, and the trees that you saw out of these windows were pocked and chipped from years of Pap and me practicing a stage one defense. In stage two, we moved into the hole at the back of the shelter where a muddy tunnel led to the box. The box was about a quarter the size of our shelter and made of steel sheets that Pap took from an old barn. An air pipe went up through the ground and was hidden inside a tree stump. Pap said if we ever moved to stage two, we'd cave the tunnel in behind us. We had dried food and water in the box that would last for a week or more. Pap said a stage two would be hard, but the box was made to keep people alive when things got really bad. It would be a while before they'd find us, he said. There were no power lines or roads nearby, except for the path to the cedar grove we switched our trails every week so we wouldn't wear our tracks into the ground. We made most of our fires in the wood stove to hide the flame. If we had to make a fire outside, we used the driest wood we could find to cut down on the smoke. We couldn't carry anything shiny in the bright sun in case a plane caught the reflection. Our knife blades kept a thin coat of rust on them for that very purpose. Pap even went so far as to sneak up on his game from the south so that the sound from the rifle shot would be aimed down into the river bottom. From my place on the hide pile, I could hear the birds through the small window slit as the forest grew dark outside. I was used to paying extra attention to the late afternoon and night sounds. Pap said if the government was coming for us, that's when they'd come. He got nervous and quiet when the sun started dropping. He liked to sit inside the shelter and work on chores that didn't make noise. The two of us sewed, whittled, scraped hides, and repaired traps while we studied the forest sounds. But I didn't do any of these things the afternoon after Pap died. I couldn't. I just balled up like a squirrel and cried. Chapter 2 It seemed like everything started going wrong the summer before Pap's accident. We heard through Mr. Abrascato, who owned the general store in Gainesville, that International Paper Company had run into hard times and was selling off some of its land. 
Pap said that the paper company had owned the forest as long as we had been there and that they were too big to know about us. If they sold out to smaller landowners, we'd likely be found. I could tell that Pap was worried. He told me that the swimming hole was off limits and that I was to stay close to the shelter unless I was checking traps or getting drinking water. Without the creek to swim in, the days were hotter than any I can remember. We spent afternoons sitting in the shelter covered with the tannic acid from boiled acorns to keep off the ticks and mosquitoes. Pap had me practice my reading while he carved fish hooks from briars and bound sticks to make catfish traps. It wasn't two weeks after our visit to Mr. Abrascado's store that surveyors found our shelter while we were out checking the traps. When Pap and I returned, we saw their orange vests through the trees and we ducked into the bushes and watched them as they walked around the shelter. They stayed there for about an hour, poking at our things. I asked Pap if they were the government. He said no, that they weren't much better. Should we shoot at them? No. If they're not any better, then when the war comes, you'll know. How? I'll tell you. The next morning, Pap woke me at daybreak. Get up, he said. We need to go into town and find out what's happening. I got excited about going to Mr. Abrascado's. It was the only time I saw any of the outside world, but I was careful not to let Pap know how I felt. He said showing ourselves to outsiders was the most dangerous part of how we lived. One slip up in the law would be all over us. A trip to the store wasn't anything he wanted to see me excited over. We're going to take something to sell, Pap? Ain't got time. Get your britches on. As the sun slipped over the trees, we made the six-mile trip to Mr. Abrascado's. We used to sell our furs to him, but it had been more than three years since we'd sold any. He said the prices were so low that he lost money just paying for gasoline to get them to Birmingham, where he sold them to companies that made clothes and things out of them. Since then, we had sold him meat instead, along with vegetables we grew in the garden, and we brought what we wanted of the outside world with the money he gave us. Most of the journey was through the forest, but the last half mile was on the road to avoid the big swamp. Pap said this was okay because the road was straight and long and we could hear cars coming in either direction before they saw us. We had time to slip down into the ditch and lie still until they passed. The store was on the outskirts of town and the only building nearby was a small brick one that Pap said was owned by the power company. We could see a traffic light another half mile up the road, which Pap said was the only one in Gainesville. I liked to watch the light as long as I could before Pap hurried me past the gas pumps and into the store. I'd seen a tractor go into the light once and even a yellow school bus.